today on the energy is, no, I'm teasing. That's not how we're going to start the episode, but it is the energy is love podcast. Obviously, I always say obviously, because if you aren't aware of that at this point, I guess you can continue to listen. Thank you very much for listening. So energyislovepodcast.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Uh, go listen on our website. You can go listen just right on the website itself. If you go to our website, click on episodes, you'll see them all right there and you can listen, download, do whatever you need to right through the uh, website. Also on the website, we have all of our sponsors listed. So you click on sponsors, drops down a tab, you get to then click on any of them and go find their information. The one I want you to go there and click on right now is the New Consciousness Expo. Coming up April 22nd, Saturday, April 22nd, from 10 to 6, is the New Consciousness Expo at the Southtown Expo Center. It's here in Utah, so if you live here in Utah, then I expect to see you there. If you don't live here in Utah, then I guess you get a pass. Just a small pass, though. Saturday, April 22nd is also Earth Day. So celebrate Mother Earth. Come out to the New Consciousness Expo, which, by the way, is an amazing event that has so many different things uh, rattle off here in just a little short promo for it. I don't even know how to list all the different things. But if you could imagine the most amazing metaphysical, spiritual, new age, healthy living uh, event, conference, whatever you want to call it. So mark your calendars. It's coming up real soon. April 22nd, 10 to 6, all day Saturday, Southtown Expo Center. This episode is also brought to you by our new sponsor. We've got a new sponsor for the podcast. It is EssentialOilAccessories.com. So we've talked about essential oil on the podcast before. If you are into any sort of kind of stuff that we talk about, or even not that we talk about, just I'm sure at some point you've heard of essential oils and how beneficial they are for you as a person, for your family, for anybody that you could possibly know. We love essential oils. My wife and I use them all the time. Wonderful, wonderful things. Well, you can find everything that you could possibly need for your essential oils. Organizers, necklaces, bracelets, diffusers, continuing on with the list of all the things that they have. Go to their website and check it out. Like I said, they've got everything that you could possibly need to accessorize and to use and dispense and to enhance your life in the process of using essential oils. So go check them out. You can go to our website, click on the link there. You can go straight to their website. You can go find them on Facebook. There are all that kind of fun stuff, but go check them out. New sponsor for the podcast. Big shout out to EssentialOilAccessories.com. On today's episode of the podcast, I got a chat with Crystal Doty. So I'm a big fan of Crystal. She's a really neat lady. She's a lot of fun to chat with and talk to. She's got super good insight into so many different things. She is the author of What Would Angels Do?, It's a guide to different archangels and things like that. It's a really, really good book. And if you haven't checked it out, I suggest you go check it out. We did have her on the podcast way back in the day, but it's been a long time since she's been on. So I was looking forward to the chance to catch up and learn what she's been doing and what she's been up to. So during the episode, we talk about a lot of stuff. And really, just like any other episode, we just got into some really wonderful conversation about a variety of different topics. So... Go to her website. It's clarityistheway.com. That's where you can find all of her information. You can find her contact information as well as click on everything that she's got there so that you can find and follow and keep up to date with what Crystal is doing. But for now, thank you very much, Crystal, for taking the time to do the show once again. And you folks get to sit back and relax and enjoy 
a wonderful, beautiful episode of the podcast for the universe with my wonderful guest, Crystal Doty. Here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is the Love podcast. The Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The Energy is Love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The Energy is Love podcast. Well, thank you, Crystal. Here we are again. Yay, I'm back. <laughs> it is an honor to be here. I'm loving your podcast. I love being able to support what you're doing. And of course, it's an honor to be here. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I'm excited to kind of find out what's going on and where you've been lately. Yeah, well, as you know, I wrote What Would Angels Do? A year ago, um, a year ago this month is when it came out. A year ago. Is it April? It's April now, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And actually, okay, so a year ago next month is when I officially launched it, and it's been an amazing year. It really has. Um, I am into book two, writing What Would Goddess Do, and that has been incredible experience as well. Completely different than this one. Um, when I wrote What Would Angels Do, it seemed like it happened in a night. Uh, the goddesses are taking their time. <laughs> it's a little bit longer of a process. Yeah. That's typical of a goddess, though. That's my super stereotypical man right there. <laughs> there you go. Well, and, and tr true to form, they are being. So um, it's really great. And at the same time, though, um, I should also say I am writing two other books. Um, I've got another series going. So the What Would Angels Do, What Would Goddess Do is in my first series of book the, or books, um, Watch Me Rise. And uh, I've got a second series that is geared towards modern mysticism, people who are the modern mystics. They are wanting to pull mysticism, spirituality, magic from the past, from the ethers, and apply it to our present day lives. So what that looks like is uh, I've got a book on how to build and brand your spiritual business, how to date as a spiritual person, you know, just kind of the things that we're dealing with today in our lives, but using, you know, our, our spiritual heritage, you know, to, to help us maneuver our modern day lives. So I'm all over the place. I am writing <laughs> like a crazy woman. So if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the What Would Angels Do? That was your first book, right? Yeah. You had never written anything before. Correct. Do you feel like you've kind of caught the bug now and you just like the process so much? Yes, absolutely. I love writing. I I, I mean, I'm obviously wanting to do it full time because that's where I'm headed. Um, and so, yeah, it is one of those things that, you know, everybody says they're going to write a book and then they don't. And I'm just here to go, just do it. Like, just do it. I, I, you don't have to be 100% perfect. I've got mistakes in my book that I still catch um, there's some things that I wish I would have written differently. I mean, and, and that's the other thing I think that writers think that it has to be this like absolute perfect, perfect piece. And, um, it's perfect when it's ready to go. I mean, I felt the push, you know, the angels going, just publish it already. And, um, it, it's just seemed to have helped so many people, even though there might be a typo. Yeah. <laughs> so just do it because because once you do it, you learn a lot about yourself. I learned a lot about myself during the editing process, you know, having editors tell me that, hey, this isn't coming across the way you wanted it to, <laughs> you know, it, it, when you are edited and, and you learn how to speak better, you learn how to deliver a message better. I mean, there's so much development that happens when you put out a book. So just do it, do it, do it. Everyone needs to do it. Do you find after having written the first one, um, now the process, you've already got that under your belt and you've got that experience and that kind of idea of what it actually takes to write a book and to author and to put it out and all that kind of stuff. 
Is it a little bit easier now? For sure. There's a lot of research that I had to do because I Mm self-published and there's so many different ways you can go about doing that. Describe that. Like, so somebody out there that doesn't really understand the difference between, you know, going through like a publisher as opposed to self-publishing. Yeah, I want to say that I chose easy to be honest. In, in my perspective, I, I did not want to go through the submitting my book to a publisher and whether or not it will be approved or not or, you know, anything like that. I just really felt the call to put my information out there. So I went through Create Space, which is a Amazon's self-publishing company. And it was very easy. Um, it was just, you know, you, you've got your document, you've made all of the edits and, and corrections. I do highly suggest that you invest in an editor, um, probably more so than you would invest in a publisher. Um, I, I would think that that's number one, because your content, if it's really good, your things will, will sell. And, um, so it, it was literally like uploading, you know, my book to create space and picking out what my cover was going to be. And once it's on Amazon, um, you know, you're out there and then you just do all your self-promoting. And, and for those of you who want to know more about that, you can wait for my book, How to Build and Brand Your Business. <laughs> it's coming out. But, you know, I learned what works and what doesn't work. I learned um, strategies that are a waste of time and money and, and w- other ways that really are beneficial. And I know that most people that are just putting out a self-published you know, published book, they're, you know, most of us are not having a ton of money to invest in a lot of uh, you know, self-promotion. So there's some really cool things that you can do to, to help you. But what I learned was once you get about 25 positive reviews on Amazon, Amazon will start to suggest your book to people who are you know, ordering and buying like books. So my first goal was to get those 25 positive reviews. And um, it's exciting. I mean, I got that. And the majority of them, I don't even know who the people are, which I was like, oh, all my friends will do this. (laughs) But it's more meaningful when it's people that I don't even know because then you know they're being authentic. (laughs) Not that my friends wouldn't be, but, you know, just having that feedback from people that I don't even know was really exciting. So if you are looking to to put your book out there, one of the best things, and, and I don't know if it's my ego or not, it's really nice to have people say nice things about my book. Take that little bit of extra time, huh? Yeah, it really it's the is. same thing for a podcast, too. Ah, hint, hint. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. I Now that I've been through that, I think that I'm more sensitive towards, you know, taking the time to tell someone that they're doing a good job or that I liked their book and, and just giving them that review. Um, so now my book is a suggested book on Amazon and that's really excited. That was what I wanted to accomplish in the first year. So now I'm heading into the year of my book, my book turning a year old and, and I can say, cool, I did that. Now I can move on to the next book and, and get that out there. So, so with not having gone with a publishing house or with a publisher, um, you also don't have to worry about any of the proceeds, right? You're not necessarily having to worry about Divi and every, anything up to people that you've hired to go and do the book and all that kind of stuff for uh, you. That's true. I mean, um, there is a printing fee that Amazon charges you to print the book, uh, but you can pretty much mark it up what you want. And um, then I have my book in a couple local bookstores, you know, in Utah mm-hmm. and uh, looked actually, I was just out in Arizona. There's a couple that will start um, selling them out there too. And, you know, you just work your own book deal. You know, what kind of profit do you want to make on your book? Um, you know, word to the wise, obviously nobody becomes a writer to make millions of dollars. It's not like you're making a living on selling your books yet, perhaps, you know, when you first put it out there. It's really just a, a beautiful ride. Um, and so I just suggest people do 
your best, you know, at, at managing what you want to get from your book without overpricing it. Um, and I do believe that publishers have a place. And I think that if you are someone who is willing to do the work and get yourself out there, it's a lot more beneficial to have a publishing company approach you and say, Hey, you know, we've noticed you've sold a ton of books, you know, and you're doing really great. You know, I think in the the new age world, Hay House is probably, or or Balboa Press, those are two that most people want to be affiliated with. And they're very strict on that. They definitely want you to be doing the legwork. And it's easy to be noticed if you are doing the work and you're getting the success back that you deserve. I was going to have a thought. I get so pissed off when this happens. I have something (laughs) that pops into my head. Yeah. I'm just going to let it go. Yeah, yeah. I'll sit here and think forever. Um, But, but you know, for anyone who's listening that wants a publisher, I'm not bashing publishers at all. I would say go with your gut, go with your intuition if you feel like that that's the the route you want to go. My What I learned is that getting a publicist is your best bet, you know, to find somebody who's going to go to the publishing company in your name for you. Um, it's just kind of that old adage when somebody else talks about you, it comes across a lot better than you talking about you. Yeah. And so, um, that's what I was going to talk about. Like, I think that, um, and this is a perfect example of where, you know, there's, there's now the ability through technology and the way that everything's moved and the way that we are so far advanced in regards to the different things that we do, you have the ability to essentially publish your, your own book incredibly easy for the most part. And now people can buy your book anywhere. And that's amazing. Whereas even, you know, five, 10 years ago, it would have been much difficult, much more difficult. And things like publishers and I mean, anything in that realm of, I mean, it's the same thing like with podcasts where anybody, like anybody can make a podcast and put it out there and it can be listened to. And you no longer have to be restricted to the forms of media that are kind of big and present and commonly used or known, right? So in in the realm of writing a book and becoming an author, you would have to go through a publisher unless it was you carrying your manuscript around and handing it to people for the most part. True, true. And so I think it's really amazing how that's changed. And then I think it also correlates to so many different things um, in the world as a whole, as well as like in the new age community and spirituality, where there are tenants and things that were there for a reason in the past that worked really, really well, that had a time and a place, and now they're just kind of no longer needed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say that because it's so easy to get information out there, the consumer's inundated. And, you know, I think that m- most people's fears of putting themselves out there, whether it be a podcast or even a Facebook Live or, you know, writing their book or whatever, is that there's so much inundation. There's just everybody is just, is inundation a word? <laughs> I think so. I think okay. I used it correctly. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> I knew what you meant. I'm a writer. <laughs> just kidding, that doesn't mean I know words. Um, you know, there's just so much out there that I think that people are worried about, or I should say, most of the people I talk to that want to write or put themselves out there, they're worried about the competition. They're worried about what else is out there. And I always just say, this is a wonderful way to up your game. You know, um, the market never lies. When you have good stuff, they'll buy it. When you have crappy stuff, they won't. <laughs> So the good way to know where to go or, or how to change or, or grow is to put yourself out there and see what the marketplace wants. What are they asking for? What are they loving? You know, and it's not to change your message by any means, but it's a really good way to, to grow. It's a good way to get feedback, basically, is if you... um you know, like I have a client that's like, I put stuff out there and nobody's really biting. 
And, you know, she's being consistent. She's doing a lot of the stuff. And it's like, well, at some point you've got to look at your content and just say, you know, what do I need to do? This is feedback. And again, just like when I was edited in my book, the editor's going, I know what you're trying to say, but when someone's reading it, they're not going to take it that way. And, you know, going, okay, I need to really look at what I'm really putting out there, not what I think I'm putting out there. And that makes it exciting for me. I'm that feedback helps. It's a challenge that I like to rise to. Um, you know, I can put out a crappy YouTube video, you know, like one view or something, one (laughs) like, you know, and I'm like, okay, I will not cover that content again, you know, or maybe I'll recycle it in a year, you know, and see if people like it then. But it's fun to maneuver and swim through this, this sea of information and just, you know, try to figure out what people are really hungry for and give them what they're, what they're asking for and what they're wanting. I almost think sometimes as well, because like you said, there is so much content, right? Mm -hmm. Not just in the space of books and podcasts and everything else, but there's just so much stuff out there for people to try to take in that (sighs) it, I mean, it seems really difficult to break through that hump where, and we, and we do that in that space where we create something, like you said, even if it's as simple as a Facebook live video, where we want to make sure that it's being heard or that it's being seen or somebody's absorbing that information if it's good information and it should be out there, you know what I mean? That's what we want. And if it's just us seeking fame and glory and, you know, a thousand uh, views, then that all just isn't worth it. But <laughs> I think that sometimes people don't even know what the hell they want. Do you know what I mean? This is true. This is true. <laughs> and I think that that's when you start dabbling. You know, mm-hmm. again, just it, it, you if you're somebody that wants to put out content, just start doing it and 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 give people options, you know, and, and see if you can trigger in them what they're looking for. People, again, the marketplace never lies, you know, that people will tell you what is talking to their heart, what they agree with, you know, things that go viral are usually things that people get really passionate about, you know, so they're, they're craving that. So I always just, you know, you just have to be looking and watching and and appreciating. And I think as well, at the end of the day, if you're doing stuff that, um, speaks true to who you are that you feel very passionate about obviously it doesn't matter who's watching or how many likes it's getting or how many books you're selling on amazon it's all just a matter of do that stuff that you're really passionate about that really makes your heart smile i think you nailed it on the head there for sure i'm (laughs) sure most of our listeners are already thinking that that's that is uh, yeah perfect how old are you? That's a terrible question to ask you on a podcast. I just that realized. That is so hilarious. So on the drive here, uh-huh. <laughs> that's so funny. For some reason, I was thinking you were going to ask me that. <laughs> so I have a reason behind it. Okay. Well, I have a reason, I guess, for thinking that. I don't know. <laughs> I This is a big year for me. Okay. I turned 40 this year. Okay. I know that's weird because like, I feel like I'm 28. Mm-hmm. And, But th- something about 40 for me. Um, I always said when I was 40, I wanted to have the best body I've ever had. And I, I can, I can almost say that. I think that by October, by the time I have my birthday, I'm going to be there. I've been really working hard at my physical health. I had some landmarks that I wanted to make by the time I turned 40. And I'm really proud of myself because I have taken the time to do that. And, you know, here it is April. I've got till October and I am like a woman on fire right now. Um, I think that turning 40 is going to be the best birthday I've ever had. (laughs) So the reason I ask, thank you for answering. And I think it is funny that you thought about that question on the way here. Um, Could you, I think if we look at our lives, right? First off, when we're children and then teenagers and early 20s and through every phase and kind of stage of your life, 
you always think about yourself in the future and you always kind of future cast where you're going to be and what your life's going to look like. Now you're going to turn 40 in October. Is your life anything remotely close to what you thought it would be when you were 20 or when you were 15 or even when you were maybe 30 or whatever? Well, first of all, let me just be thankful that I that there was no social media when I was younger. Yes. <laughs> because I thought I knew everything at one point. Um, you know, I really did not do a lot of planning. And, and that if I could go back, I wish I would have. But, you know, my story in a nutshell was that my parents decided to kind of ship me off to my sister's house when I was 13. I, I just st- was stopped parenting, you know, being parented very young. And... Then I got pregnant in high school. How much older was your sister? She was 12 years older than me. And she was already married and kind of established. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was a a series of circumstances that led them to make that decision. Um, But I I still really suffered with some abandonment issues and and things like that for a long time. Um, And so when I got pregnant in high school, I didn't really have a plan for long term. It was just what I could do that day, you know, like what bills do I have to pay? Where can I live that's safe? Where can I raise my child that is safe? I was a child raising a child. And so I think I lived most of my twenties just really living in kind of a present moment, trying to get through, um, and trying to survive. And I was a lot of in survival mode. My big awakening happened when I realized that I was never orphaned. I really have some amazing, beautiful, um, heavenly parents, you know, that, uh, never left my side. That was the biggest turning point for me is connecting to God and goddess and my father and my mother and the source of everything for my life. And, um, once that became solid, it was easy to start to make plans from that point. But to be honest, it has not been that long. And, um, you know, really my, my, my thirties, the beginning of my 30s was me just kind of figuring out and and understanding what that relationship between me and my parents, my heavenly parents really was about. I will say that I'm just now starting to make plans. So when you ask, did I see myself here? No, I can honestly say I didn't because I didn't know where I was going to end up. I really didn't. I think when I was a little girl, um, I just really loved to make people happy. I, we traveled a lot when I was young and my mom said, that I would walk up and down the airplane just wanting to make people smile. And so perhaps at some point in my life, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Perhaps I wanted to just make people feel at ease and happy and make them smile. But as far as having a plan or wishing that I was something, you know, it's like I went to school to become a nurse, but it's not like I had these big aspirations to stay in the medical field. I went on to get a master's in, uh, you know, nutrition and, and, bioenergetics and homeopathics, but I didn't have any huge aspirations to rule that kingdom at all. I I just did what was in front of me. And I ended up here. Congratulations. (laughs) Kudos to you. I think it's, um, I think as perhaps, because I'm 35, so I I guess you and I are kind of in the same generation in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. And in the generations behind us and the ones that are in front of us, each generation, I think, always has something that they they have to deal with, right, in a societal big kind of scope and viewpoint. And I think for the most part, especially speaking from my own experience, there wasn't anything overly, like, we didn't have to survive the Depression. We didn't have World War II. Granted, we've had wars consistently for the past 30 years or whatever the case may be. We've been in some kind of armed conflict. 
but we didn't have some big, huge thing that really defined a generation. And I think because of that, outside of own personal stories and experiences and lives that people have led, I think because of that fact that we haven't had something profound that's affected society in such a massive way, we kind of float and we kind of stay in this space. And so I think about myself back when I was like 20 years old, right? I had the same thing where I thought I knew everything. I think that's very, very common and normal and wonderful and amazing because I remember how smart I was and then you just realize you're really an idiot. But, um, <laughs> you know, I would think about myself now at 35 years old and think about how how I would feel so productive and how I would have, you know, my life put together and I would have all these things kind of organized and I would have a house and I would have a family and I would have all of this stuff. And now that I'm 35 and I, I have all of those things, right? I have a family, I have a home, I have relatively speaking, my life in order and productive, I still don't feel like it. I still feel like I'm, you know, in 10 more years or, or when I turn 40 or I still, and I think that our generation or people that are, you know, anywhere from this age of like 30 to 45 to 50, I think we are kind of becoming more who we are supposed to be and more content and happy and at peace with life much later in life. And maybe it's always been that way. I don't know. But it seems like, you know, there's nothing wrong with turning 40 and feeling like you really have your life together or feeling like you're really moving towards where you're supposed to be going. And I think that that's happening later and later and later in life for people. And maybe it's always been that way. I don't know. But it seems like that's kind of a, a common thing where and, and you see it like in Hollywood with celebrities and things like that, where they comment on the fact that like Jennifer Aniston's 50 years old, like who cares how old Jennifer Aniston is, but yet she's had this huge successful career that's all happened, you know, since the time that she was like 35, 40 years old. And so I just think it's really fascinating and interesting. But then I also, I always pick apart that concept or that di idea or that dynamic, especially in my own space. And why do I feel like I still don't have not necessarily everything that I want, but I still don't feel 100% comfortable in my skin. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think a lot of that is the evolution process that we're all kind of going through right now. And I think we've always been evolving into, you know, just better humans. You know, we're, we're obviously not in the dark ages anymore. We're not throwing bones at each <laughs> other. And, you know, there's a lot to our world that's still kind of like that, but we're evolving. And on an energetic scope, I believe that we as a human race are evolving very fast right now. And so the feeling of not um, reaching some promised land is normal under these circumstances of just we're always on the leading edge of the next thing and i think it's okay to not be to, to not feel completely settled um to always feel like there's something else that you can go for something else you can reach to you know towards some other evolution of your own self and i think even as a society it's okay to continue to explore what our evolution looks like um, especially in our time, technology has taken off. Our society is, I mean, people's ideas and, you know, we have people that are thinking like Einstein now, you know, that, that weren't thinking like that before. You know, we have people thinking like, you know, out of the box people back then. It's, it's kind of like our norm now to, to be more, um, just on the leading edge. And, and very often I come across someone um, that I'm either doing a reading for or, you know, even in conversation, and they're feeling bad that they haven't reached their promised land. They're like, I've wandered the wilderness, right? You know, I've, <laughs> yeah. I've done all this and that, and I'm, I have not reached that place. And 
I, I'm, I always say, well, congratulations. That's not the point. I don't think that you'll ever reach a promised land. And I feel that that mentality can be very scary because for one thing, let's say you did everything that society told you to do. You, you know, did A, B, and C, and you think you're in the promised land. What do you do when evolution comes knocking at your door and gives you some weird ass challenge that you've got to overcome? What do you do when life asks you to grow? There, you know, what, what do you do when you have to now start, you know, praying for manna to fall out of the sky, so to speak, again? You, you, you start resisting that call. You start resisting the challenge. You start saying, no, no, there is no growth. I made it. I'm in my promised land. I'm in paradise. I did everything I was supposed to do. And that leads to non-growth, which is, in my eyes, death. It's spiritual death. It's, it's emotional death. When, when you say, no, I've done everything I need to do. Or, you know, I'm, I've made it. And you put like your, you know, shovel in the sand, you know, and this is it. This is the place. I, this is where we're going to be. You know, it, that is very much like trying to do that in the middle of a river. You know, life is flowing. We are evolving where there's always a forward movement. And you're either going with that flow or you're in resistance to it. Whenever you resist it, it's painful. It, it, you know, you, you just kind of get slammed by life if you don't, you know, if, if you don't continue to just go with it. So I, I totally get what you're saying. And I think that my old mentality would be telling me, gosh, Crystal, at 40 years old, you should be way more established than you are. Because by under no means, I don't want anyone that's listening to this think that I even have my shit together. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I think that I, you know, I think we feel like we get to a point in life where we are going to have our shit together. And then at each kind of milestone and each kind of next level, it's like, oh, I've got a little bit more of it together, but there's still this huge pile over here that's just complete chaos. And I, I'm, I'm sitting here as we're talking and I'm sitting here thinking about it. My guess is that the reality, regardless of who you are in life, you know, whatever your status is, whatever your success level is, my guess is nobody ever feels like they have all of their shit together. And I think if they do feel that, they're probably lying to themselves in a sense. And even like in the dark recesses of our minds, even when we feel very content and happy, I think there's always this unsettled, quiet storm that... You know, we are always kind of in that place of evolving and evolution and moving forward. Life is like laundry. You are never done. You, you, you're going to have to wash the bullshit you're wearing today. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not, there's not a, there are destination points. Don't get me wrong. There are milestones. It, it, again, going back to the river analogy, you know, you are gaining experience and you are gaining wisdom. So perhaps the only difference between me at 40 and somebody at 20 is I've just been around longer. Mm -hmm. doesn't make me more smarter than more smarter. doesn't make <laughs> me, you know, um, obviously <laughs> more articulate. But, Wiser. And, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've gained some experience and I know what works for me and what doesn't. Um, and, you know, I might have some insight, but, you know, I might be further down the river, so to speak. But um, I... I like the idea that life is a journey because that also gives people who are starting maybe a new endeavor later in life permission to do it. You know, it's never too late to start that dance class, to learn how to paint, to do the things that you wanted to do. Um, and perhaps you're entering a phase of your life where life may be, you know, your river is slowing down a little bit. And uh, you do have time to maybe indulge in those new exciting things that you wanted to do but we talk ourselves out of it that that paradise mentality well wait a minute i've i've arrived i'm 65 you know i 
who am I to start writing now or speaking now or, you know, start that hobby now? And it's like, who are you not to? Dude, you've got miles and miles and miles of river ahead of you. And, you know, my, my philosophy is as long as you are here on this planet that is always evolving, that is always moving forward, that is always growing and expanding, and as long as you are standing on the edge of new things happening, until you're not here, you are here to just grow and expand and move and shake and do your thing. I totally agree. And I think that's an important thing to uh, speak about and to throw out there is the fact that, you know, you're never out of time. Uh, it's always a good time to start that new thing, to quit that old job and go to the job that you want to try uh, doing those things that you're afraid of. Because that's the other thing too. Like I think the dynamic of, you know, my, like I, I think about my parents' generation and their parents, my grandparents. And the idea was, that you found your job, your career, whatever it was that you made money at. And you did that for 20 years or 30 years until you retired. And then you got to live your life of relax and, you know, enjoyment and vacationing or whatever the case may be. But you had to commit that 20 years of hard work and determination and showing up and working nine to five Monday through Friday and really dedicating yourself to that before you got to the end and you got to experience joy and happiness. And it's not that you couldn't have a job that you were joy joyful about, but I think that dynamic is so incredibly like gone. Like it's not even really present anymore. There's just wisps of it where people still think in some way, shape or form that we have to do that. And the reality is we don't have to do that in any way, shape or form. And so many people today aren't doing that where you'll have multiple careers throughout your lifetime. You'll have the experience of, you know, I worked 14 different jobs during my 20s, finally found something that I enjoyed when I was 30, uh, quit or left that when I was 35, and all these different things that'll happen. But what I find interesting, I've got an 18-year-old daughter, so she's getting ready to graduate, she's getting ready to go to college, she's getting ready to go out and do all that kind of stuff that you do at that age. Um, but trying to explain to her or express to her that concept or idea that she doesn't have to figure out what she wants to do for the rest of her life right now. She doesn't even have to have a clue what she wants to do for the rest of her life right now. And the fact is what she chooses to go to college for or what she chooses to do, you know, for a job or a career once she leaves college, most likely isn't going to be something that she does for 20 years. So true. So true. I, I really, I tell people in their 20s all the time, this is your chance to mess up. Your 20s should be you trying and failing at but everything. we're still fucking up in our 30s too. <laughs> Maybe she didn't fuck up <laughs> enough in your 20s. Um you know, on that note, I think that, again, it's the evolutionary process. And I talk about this in What Would Angels Do at the beginning of the book, where I talk about the evolutionary turn point that we've, that we've made. That lifestyle that you described that our parents and grandparents lived totally worked for them. Totally worked. They were happy doing that. Women were happy in their role. Men were happy in their role. Like, they, everybody was just doing what they were told and, and they were happy with that. But you look at, again, evolution. We have so many more opportunities than they did. They think about the industries that were available to them versus the industries that are available to us now. And now that we have this amazing free market, you can be an entrepreneur at everything you do. You can go and make beaded bracelets and sell them on Etsy. You, there, there's just so many more opportunities for us now. So it's not so much that one generation was better or anything. It's just it worked for them because that's what they had available to them. And this works for us because we've created all of these different avenues that we can go into. Working from home. I mean, that really was not a thing for women in the 50s. I mean, how is a woman going to work from home? She wasn't selling anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Perhaps things out of her garden at a farmer's market or something like that. But we just, we have so many more opportunities handed to us that 
that's why we get to be all creative and excited. And it's important, I think, that we don't look and judge the generations. We just look at it as that absolutely worked for them. And this is working for us. And things have changed so quickly. So some of our heads are spinning. But um, I don't think that there was a, a right or wrong way or a good or bad way to live. I just think that we did what we did in according to what was in front of us then. I totally agree. <laughs> I keep saying that because you say wonderful things. I'm Aww. like, oh, I totally agree with that. Good job. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, I have yeah. something for you. Okay. So that you said you're writing the new book. Yes, I am writing the new book. What and... would goddesses do? Yes. So I have a, this is a really interesting Dynamic, right? It really, maybe it's not an interesting question or topic I'm about to bring up, but I'm sitting here thinking about it and I'm like, first off, that's going to be cool and I'm excited and you'll have to come back on and talk about it when you're done with the book. Definitely. Um, but what if somebody were to write a book? What would gods do? Like, that would be fun too. Well, I think that, especially in the new age community, right? The inner goddess and the goddess awakening and goddess arising and women embracing their goddess and all this empowerment of women and i think it's beautiful and i think it's wonderful and i think it's much needed and important however like i can like can you imagine if a man and maybe they there is a book out there a similar title or something like that but if a man were to write a book and title it what would gods do and the whole intention and purpose and i don't know if this is the intention or purpose of your book but the whole intention and purpose is to empower men and have them invoke their inner god and their strength and all those kind of different things like I can only imagine what that would be viewed and looked at as. I would be sad if it was viewed anything other than awesome because I'm writing about what I know about. Mm -hmm. I don't know a whole lot about men's empowerment. I know it needs to happen because I don't feel like men are empowered at all. I, I feel like men, that there have been males who have abused their power, but that's not empowerment. Those are not actions that come from an empowered man. That's actually coming from a lack of power, wanting to overpower somebody else because they feel powerless. Um, I would love for somebody to write a book like that. Um, but, you know, what would goddess do is what I do know. It, it is really about having to, you know, really, I, I think, I hope that men read my book too, um, because I'm doing the same thing with that book as I did with the archangels. I mean, basically what I did is I took 15 prominent archangels and I personified them. And I said, you know, here's what they would be like if they were human. Here are this, the, the kind of lifestyles that they would live. Here are some of their ideals, perhaps, that they would support. And um, I feel like because we don't have a lot of, we don't have a really a lot of strong role models, you know what I mean, in, in our society. And I think that part of the breakdown of the genders has been that we don't have that tribal initiation to our manhood or our womanhood. We don't have those tribal leaders who have, you know, I guess, harnessed themselves and, and are able to mentor us. Uh, we're all just kind of like figuring it out, you know? And so I looked to the archangels and then I looked to the goddesses to help me understand my self, you know, as a woman in this world, what kind of strengths am I allowed? Can I have, you know, what, who's going to show me what my potential is. And so I looked at goddesses in the history you know, um, Greek goddesses and Roman goddesses and Egyptian goddesses and um, Mayan goddesses who, who really embodied themselves, even Christian goddesses like Mary and Mary Magdalene. Um, but to answer your question, I personally would love that book. And if it was written, <laughs> if it was really written with the intention that you wrote, that you said, yeah. you know, this is what would Apollo do as a man on this earth? You know, what would Zeus be like? You know, what would what would 
uh, and well, probably not Anubis. He's the god of death. I don't know <laughs> if that would be so great, but you know, like with these gods that we have in our stories, in our history, they're there for a reason. They're there for us to look at. They're there for us to learn from. The only difference is that they're they're like stories that don't apply to us today. You know what I mean? Like I'm as a single mother trying to pay my bills. So like, what's Isis going to do to help me with that? You know what I mean? Isis, the <laughs> goddess, by the way. Yeah. And when I started to, to look at her as like, hey, this is the kind of attributes I know her to have. What would she do if she was in my space? How would she create success? And that just like empowered me. I was like, oh my gosh, she would be a rock star. You know, she would be like this glamorous rock star. And 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 I just basically let them tell me, you know, I would meditate. What, what would you do in 2017? What would you do in this year um, with these challenges? And I think that bringing them in, you know, out of the storybooks, maybe bringing them into like, you know, our present moment, hopefully a woman will read that book and say, I am just like Athena. I am just like, you know, these goddesses and, and, and they, they would do incredible things. And if they can, I can. Do you think that there's a big, I mean, I know that there's a big, uh, oh my goodness. Split isn't the right word. A big divide or a big um, <laughs> a big space, we'll say, between feminine and masculine right now on the planet and people and in general. Um, I feel like I don't know how to I don't know how to word this in such a way where I'm not going to sound like a dick. So I'll do the best that I can. But I feel like the hmm. I feel like I'm treading. Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop like worrying about what I'm. Yeah, about just to say, say it because it, you're. You're. It's all good. Well, I th- I feel like women in general, and in general is a terrible way to classify women. And in no way, shape, or form do I think that there's absolutely anything wrong with women. But I feel like uh, because of the way that women have um, been persecuted and just simply the dynamic of the world for the last five thousand years, ten thousand years, when it comes to men and women. I think now they're at a point where they're trying to take some some of that power back, and that's such a silly term as well. I don't like that term, but they're trying to embrace the the inner goddess and that strength that they have inside of them, which I personally feel like is massively stronger than anything a man possesses or has, because I've seen like super strong women energy, and it's really really good stuff. <laughs> but um, I feel like the I feel like it's still out of bounds, and I, mm-hmm. I didn't do a good job of explaining it. But I feel like like the women's movement or um, feminism in general uh, goes way, way, way past the point of bounds, where they do need to empower themselves. They do need to take back some of that energy that has been so convoluted and shitty over the past ten thousand years. But I think what they've done, and not everybody, of course, but I think it's like. There's a, there's a trend or a thing where they go way, way farther past the point where they need to go simply to just feel like they have to stand up and be heard. And I'll speak from my point of view only. I'm not speaking for men in general in any way, shape, or form. But I feel like what it does is it um, it almost, when I say it turns people off, it's almost like it's too much um, where you just kind of, doing a such terrible job crystal it's like it like you tune it out yeah does that make sense i I hear what you're saying um so i can say this because i'm good luck i mean i'm I'm really glad that you hear what i'm saying because i have no idea i do so what i'm hearing you say (laughs) is that there's almost been an extreme opposite opposite or like an extreme 
it kind of like the pendulum went from like one extreme to the other where women were like so suppressed and now it's like they're to the other opposite extent and there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of hate and there's yes. a lot of just you know backlash personally you know we all understand why it's happening okay mm-hmm. i don't know who you, i don't care who you are i don't care you know what your beliefs are at least you can understand why it's happening i mean this is the first time in our history that we're not getting killed for being like that right um but I do believe that it, it, it that it's part of the balance. I feel like let's take it down to your own personal life. Um, sometimes if you've been an extremist in one way, life will create a situation where you almost have to be an extremist the other way just to balance out. Just it's the pendulum swing. And so we're all in this together. There's no she's a feminist. I'm not. You're not. We're all in this together. And there are some of us in a collective that are going to go to that extreme to help balance this out. There are some things that need to be said. And, and there needs to be, you know, just this balance. What I, what I am looking at is the, the, that, that extreme sometimes demasculates men. And it also creates a lot of fear and hate that those of us who are light workers are very sensitive to. We're all about the balance, but extremes usually really bug us. We're like, oh my gosh, you guys, really, can we just like forgive this and let it go and, and, and just be peaceful? And, but we have to understand that all of us together in this like global ocean, the way of things is that we really do need to let that extreme happen. And I do believe that there will be, it's kind of like somebody dropped a pebble in the feminine energy and those ripples just went way out there. But just like ripples, they will hit a bounce back point. They will come back. That's how I see this is that there was, you know, that pebble was probably just you're not going to get killed this time, you know? So that gets dropped into this, this, this water of feminism of, of female energy. And it just expanded and expanded and grew into what it was. Also, when I see women who are in a lot of pain, because they're also carrying the pain of their ancestors, perhaps they have a line of DNA of women who have just been murdered over and over and over again. And they might be feeling that in their blood. I do believe that there's, that's a thing that they, they are just, they're here to work that out for their ancestors, work that out, that anger out of them. Kind of like this has been something that's been under the, the ground, the surface for so long that it's just bubbling up. So, so for my advice for anyone who is also feeling what we're talking about is just become an observer of it. Watch it. This is, this is absolutely normal for any. Um, I, I feel like the suppression of female energy was a disease. I feel like it was a disease of a mo- of the mind. And when you have a disease, it's festered and festered and festered and festered. And now we've ripped off the bandage and it's going to ooze. And you could apply this analogy to anything that's going on pl- to politics right now. We've had a lot of under the ground disease type of energy, just that gross negative stuff that we keep putting bandages on. And today... We, because of the lifestyle, because of the, the evolution, those bandages are being ripped off in the form of awarenesses. We're looking at it. We're looking at the problems. We're looking at the issues. And everybody's like, ooh, gross. This is awful. This is the worst thing ever. It's oozing. It's disgusting. It's diseased. Yes, let everybody look at it. Let everybody see it. At some point, we'll start cleaning it up. And again, I just, I really believe in the bounce back. You know, I just, I feel like it has to happen. You have to, you have to look at the ugliness. You have to scream and shout about it perhaps. But do I see the anger and the rage happen into generations to come? Probably not. I think that, that, that we are raising children in a different way where they 
these women that are raging, they're probably doing it for all of us. They're, they're, they're kind of like holding that space of what needs to happen, of what needs to come out. Well, I like the way you described it and explained it. It was much more eloquent and like easier to understand. Well, I hope that it understand. was understandable as well because <laughs> it is one of those topics. But that idea that, you know, that extreme has to happen where if we were on one end of the spectrum for such a long time that in order to find balance and to find that happy medium, that space in the middle, we have to go to that opposite end. And, you know, I can personally think about times in my life where that's kind of happened to me in different ways, shapes, and forms where I was way over here on one end and then eventually swung to this I mean, that's a really, really good way to describe it, and I like that. You know, think of it this way, too. If you were underwater for just a second, you'd come up and you'd probably be breathing normally. But if you were underwater for a really long time and you finally came up for air, you'd be noisy. (laughs) Right? It wouldn't be pretty. You wouldn't be all elegantly coming out of the water. (laughs) You would be, like, screaming and, and coughing and choking and... That's how I feel is kind of going on in our whole society, is that there's so many things that have been underwater. And specifically, if we want to talk about female energy, has been under the water, choked, drowned, just you're down there. And so now that nobody's holding us down anymore, everybody's kind of, this, this energy's rising to the top. It's not coming out in a very graceful way because it's been under the water for a very long time. It's so grasping for like air and choking and crying and yelling and like, I can't believe you kept me down there for so long. But then pretty soon she gets her breath back. She comes out of the water. Everything, you know, balances out. And I am always calling for men to just understand what's going on. I understand that men in this generation were not holding us down. And I understand that women in this generation were not holding us down, but it was held down. Yeah. And so, yes, we're coming out. It's not elegant. It's not as graceful. We're used to women being elegant and graceful. But when you've been holding your breath for 5,000 years, <laughs> it's not very pretty when we emerge finally. Do you think that there could possibly be a reason behind? Because I think there's rhyme and reason to everything, right? Everything serves a purpose, the existence of whatever the case may be. But do you think that there may be a reason for the fact that feminine energy and women in general have been uh, kept down and persecuted and, do you know what I mean, kept underwater for so long that it could have served uh, a purpose? I mean, yeah, I I look at maybe our tribal ancestors who valued female energy as, you know, the counterpart. And um, to me, female energy, if if I were to, to classify male and female energy just in a really easy, high level way, Male energy is the, the, is the exhale. It's the energy of giving. Female energy is the inhale or the energy of receiving. And when we're breathing, we're, we're perfectly balanced in our male and female energy. And so that giving energy that male, that male energy has um, can be as pleasant as exhaling or it can be as forceful as blowing and, and just, you know, being very forceful. And so the, to me, when I look at, to answer your question, I had to define that first. Um, why was women, you know, why was feminine energy suppressed in the way it was? I think that all discord in our world always comes from one thing and it's fear. And at some point in our history, the exhale became more important than the inhale. The, the force, the output became more important than the inhale, the ability to receive and the ability to absorb and reflect and um, I do believe that when female energy is, is in its most purest and, and powerful is when she is being a receiver of light and when she's reflecting the goddess or, or that higher energy 
and she's being her intuitive self and she's gathering information from source. It's female energy. And when in, in my version of our story, this is not everybody's, but in my version of story, at some point somebody got scared of that power because they looked at it and said, this isn't me. I'm not a receiver. And they're receiving things that I don't. And so I need to shut that off. I also think that sexual energy had a lot to do with it as well. I think that men in some point in our story and in some part of our, our history became very intimidated by what women could do sexually to them. And they started feeling a little out of control. And so it was like, we better, we better get this under, you know, control, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and there, and, and so, yes, I, I think that there are many reasons, but if I were to, to take it down to one thing, I just feel like at one point men got scared of women and started to, to put them under, you know, to, to deep, de- Depower them, unpower them. <laughs> I don't know how. To, I'm going to make up words tonight. Un- unempower. Unempower them. Yeah. And um, what about on a really deeper, deeper, deeper cosmic level, like on the expansiveness of the universe in the way that energy is all intertwined and connected, and the energy that we have on this planet, you know, Earth itself plays a massive role in the energy of the universe, just as my energy does, your energy does, everybody, blah blah blah. But what if there was some reason behind feminine energy having to be stifled in a sense or to be uh, swung to the opposite end of the spectrum so that male energy could then come forth? And the reason behind that had some deeper cosmic level of balance within the space of the universe as a whole, as opposed to just our planet. I I, I get what you're saying. and, And absolutely, everything's a possibility to me. Um, and, and I, I have to say that as you're talking, what comes up for me is the question, you know, why would the, why would a Supreme being like God let this happen? Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I I have the kind of relationship with God that tells me that he wouldn't let us get into a place that he couldn't get us out of. And so, um, perhaps this had to happen for a reason, you know, and whatever reason that might be, um, I always just think, you know, there was a Supreme being in charge that, you know, I don't want to make women mad at God, but we have to just say the faith that I have is that it wouldn't have gone to a point where there was no return. And and we're seeing that. Obviously, there's a return now. Do you believe in the singular God? I believe in in multiple multiple deities, actually, but but I do believe in one supreme origin that we're all coming from. And um, so I will say yes and no, (laughs) where, you know, I I feel like I have a mother, father, God, but I also acknowledge that they are from an origin that we're all coming from. So the origin that we're all coming from, do you feel like it is a being or a conglomeration of energy? I'll be honest. I don't know. You don't know. You're not sure. I'm really plugged into my heavenly parents and and I know that there is a source above them. And when I'm supposed to know what that source is, I'm sure I will know it. <laughs> Do you ponder it? Like, is it something that you question or think about or and not question in the sense of like, I need answers, damn it, for my miserable life, but just ponder the... Uh... Not specifically. No. But I will say that I think that when... This is how I'm, I'm starting to understand these other realms is that sometimes things appear when you're not looking. The search is always on. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But um, right now, I just feel like I do get glimpses of that, even though I'm not really that curious about it. I know I come from it, and I know that it's light, and I know that it is all-encompassing love. I, like, I've seen glimpses. I, I understand 
what it's about and where it's coming from, but I couldn't say it was a person or being or, or anything. I, I think that in my humanness, there's something about it that is the mystery, and I'm actually very okay with that mystery. I think it's good to be okay with it. I mean, I hope that I hope people out there that are listening, you know, for me, I'm always constantly thinking way, way too much. But I think at some point, and even me personally, when I get to that point, um, I am okay with just the the unknown, with the not knowing. I mean, it's the energy is love podcast because I think that being that thing, that light, whatever we stem from, we're all connected to and through and from is love. And I don't have to understand it past that point. Mm-hmm. Do I think there is something past that point? Very much so, because I think that everything's super infinite and there's like bigger infinities. Like even the infinity that we think of has an infinity that's bigger than that. And and so I think that there is more than just energy is love and that's simple enough. Mm-hmm. But that's all that I need now. Yes. And that gives me peace. That gives me calm when I need it. That gives me the ability to kind of move through this life of crazy chaos when things happen and find, find that middle ground and find that calm in the river and the opportunity to just be present and be happy and be, take a deep breath. Yeah. And I also think, and I'm just going to put this out there and I hope this doesn't piss anybody off. Well, if it does, then I must be doing (laughs) something right. But I'm very careful of defining that origin because the minute that we start putting our humanistic perceptions on it, we start limiting what it can do for us. And what I know is that because it's an origin of infinite possibilities and, and, and like you said, infinity, the minute that I start putting it in any sort of box, calling it male, calling it female, calling it, uh, giving it personality, I limit what I will allow it to do in my life. I know that it is the source of miracles. It is the source of everything happening to me in my life. So if I start saying, you know, that origin is this way or that way, I might start to develop a belief that it cannot do certain things based on like a persona that I've given it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So for me, I like have the idea of having a mother and father because I can go to male energy. I can go to female energy. I can go to these things that when I need to feel safe, protected, when I need wisdom, when I need nurturing, but above them, I know that that is the source of everything. And I don't want to put a limit on that. I don't want to put a persona on that. I don't want to start saying that origin is this way or that way or prefers these things or wishes to be worshiped in a certain way or prayed to in a certain way. Because when I'm needing it, I might not receive from it what it truly can give me in my life. So this came up on a on an earlier podcast. I think it was the last one. I don't remember which because I lose track of them. But the idea and the concept, I think that we as a species, as a race, as people on this planet, I think we have some aspect of like our encoding in our DNA, like some part of us um, that keeps things small, that does label and minimize and put things within a box, including ourselves. And even even the idea and the concept that you can't do that or that we shouldn't do that because then we limit ourselves to the potential and the possibilities but yet we still do it in so many different ways, some really subtle and small and some really big and obvious. But that idea, because I think that because we are connected to that infinite source of whatever the hell it is that we want to call it, I think that we have absolute complete power to do anything and everything, meaning 
I mean, just anything, right? Anything that has ever been thought up, anything that's ever been created, anything that's fantasy, anything that we just mock, you know, chalk it up to just somebody's imagination. I think we have the potential to do all of those things. But I think the reason that we don't do those things is because of that encoding within our DNA. And that in itself serves a purpose for some reason. And this is just me continuing to perpetuate that idea and that concept of keeping things small and putting them into a box. But I do think that there's a reason behind that aspect of human nature. And I think that we made it that way for this experience, that because we came to this planet and we had this experience as humans and blah, 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 blah. I think that 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 small little tiny thing that we did and that we put into the system so that from that point forward, everybody born after that point had this thing kept us small simply because of something for some reason that served some greater purpose in the scope of the universe that we can't understand or see. But I think that it's very, very important. Yeah. And I think that possibly why, why we're at a point now in society and in culture and in the year 2017, where we are starting to reach outside of that and question that and look past that. And maybe it's been that way for the past thousand years, which is obviously just a blink of an eye, not even like a blink, like the thought of a, it's not even the thought of a blink. <laughs> But um, Very minute. <laughs> I think that perhaps the reason we're starting to come to that ground where we not just think about that dynamic, but also question it and look outside of it. So now we're no longer keeping things small and putting them in a box. We're allowing for the space outside of the box. I think that too serves a purpose where perhaps maybe that encoded part of our DNA is slowly shifting and changing and being recoded in a sense in some way that we can't understand and will take us to the next level of not even the next level just the next space of serving the higher purpose of the spin of the cosmos and the galaxy and the universe (sighs) (laughs) you know i um definitely and and that to me is the evolutionary process that we're in we obviously needed to be able to categorize things we needed to be able to understand things we needed to be able to label things this is part of survival but when we try to do it to god we limited what is unlimited. And so, um, yes, part of the evolutionary process in my li- in, in my eyes is this amazing thing that's happening in our brains where, I mean, you honestly, in talking about the evolution of brains, I mean, you can look at somebody's brain from, you know, thousands of years ago, these mummies or, you know, the science, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and they will, you know, show you that we look different. We behave differently. We, you know, we, we are definitely evolving. And, and part of that perhaps is that we, the, the kind of, um, lives that we have created require less of that organization, less identifying, less putting it in the box, less labeling. And so part of our DNA is being uncovered, the limitless part of us. And it's exciting. And, and we're all kind of just waking up to that limitless possibility. Um, that's an exciting concept. And, and I agree, there's a purpose for it all. That our ancestors didn't necessarily uh, need that. You know, they, they were very much into survival. And, and, and they, they actually had a level of understanding about God that they weren't labeling that energy. I mean, um, when we go back far enough in time, they were okay with the mystery. You look at the Mayans and the Egyptians and the people in Greece, you know, they, they understand that there's a part that they're not supposed to understand. And I think that that level of acceptance of the mystery, again, it just keeps possibilities open for us, keeps that alive for us. So, yeah, I think it's super important for sure. Yeah. I totally agree with you, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love it. <laughs> so can we do something fun with my book? Absolutely. I have this idea. I, I thought about, I, I, I am someone who is a big believer in the law of attraction. I okay. do believe that everybody who's listening today really needed to hear whatever it is that we were talking about. And um, I'm, I love randomness. This is why I love cards. You know, I, I do cards. You know, I teach tarot readings. I, I, I do a lot of that because I, I love how when you randomly open a book or when you randomly draw a card, it, you really do allow the universe to just, you know, it's like you look in a mirror. So I'm just going to like kind of like open the book in a random place and let's just kind of see what comes up. And she totally is, by the way. Yeah, but yeah, you can She's see. She's just flipping like, through. It's almost like I'm shuffling yes. the deck, but I'm just kind of like None flipping through. None of this through. has been predetermined in any yeah, way, shape, true. or form. Yeah, true. He's going to see me in live. Just kind of, <laughs> And I'll even put there that into go. the mic so She's that everyone knows through. that I'm flipping through. And I'm just asking that the angels kind of just stop the book and that whoever's listening really gets to hear this. So I'm just stopped pretty much in the middle of the book, page 100, and we're talking about Archangel Michael. And um, they're just kind of leading me to... This right here, it's funny because I know this part of the book, we're talking a little bit about leadership, about, you know, just kind of maybe empowerment. And we've talked a lot about empowerment today. And so I'm just going to read like a paragraph if that's all right. Go ahead. Leaders lead from the front, which means they are willing to first do what they want their followers to then do. If you're the head of a business, a household, store, group, organization, etc., you must be willing to show your team what must be done in order to ensure everyone's success. Think of King Arthur and the knights in his round table. In his search for the Holy Grail, Arthur doesn't just send out his army with a list of orders. He journeys with them, leading his knights by example and including their wisdom and knowledge in his experience. Zig Ziglar said, You will get all you want in life if you help enough people to get what they want. To me, this round table mentality, this is the round table mentality. The leader isn't leading for the purpose of having followers. He's leading to pave the way for everyone to find their strength and their own success. I do go into a little bit of evolution talk in this where, you know, historically we've cried for leaders. We've been like, someone lead us, someone lead us. But when somebody ever steps up, we like crucify them. <laughs> You know, I, I say here, you know, Joan of Arc carried the energy of Archangel Michael when she showed the unwillingness to hide or renounce her ability to see and hear angels and be, guide, be guided into war under their mighty influence. And look what happened to her. <laughs> Jesus was put to trial, trial and then crucified for similar reasons. So, you know, sometimes it's hard to step into that leadership role, but I think right now in our evolution process, it is very important that we understand what true leadership is really about. It, we are no longer wanting to just follow someone blindly. We want a roundtable mentality. I think that we all want to sit around and do exactly what your podcast is, is all designed to do. It, it is just, let's hear everybody. Let's see what kind of pieces of wisdom that this person is getting from source or this person has gained through experience. See how we can put that into you know, our society, into our lives, whether it be personal or global. And um, you know that's why I think that this whole book, it's funny, I wrote this book last year before, uh, or I, you know, before the, the, the elections, before all of that. <laughs> before Trump was our president. Yes, thank you. And I actually wrote in the beginning of the book, the reason why our po politics look like a bad reality show. I used those words before I even knew that he was going to be elected, is because we're being pushed to be a round table. We're, I really would love to see people stop looking at what's going on in the hill. And I know that that freaks people out. They're like, well, if we're not looking, then shit's going to happen. Guess what? Shit's happening anyway. Yeah. And it's time that we, we start being the leaders that we start. It, it, we, you know, we're, we're the, we're the head. They are the tail. We're the ones that 
make the decisions, but we act like we're the tail. We act like we're the ones being wagged. But like I told you at the very beginning, the market never lies. The market always wins. Majority always wins. And if the majority of the people are continuing to put their focus on the hill, we're going to be wagged all over the place. We, I want a round table. I want enlightened spiritual CEOs. That's why I'm writing the books that I'm writing. I want enlightened people to start managing what's going on in their house more than they're concerned about what's going on in the White House. Like, like a, a bratty little kid wanting attention. When you stop paying attention, they stop. First, they get louder. <laughs> yeah. But they stop. They start understanding that, that, that what they're wanting isn't coming from these people anymore. The fame, the control. I want us to just be kind of our own unruly round table of nights. And that's why I'm passionate about getting, you know, my message out there and writing my books is because I feel like that's where we're headed anyway. I think that evolution is going to get us out of, you know, that, that poor leadership and everybody just kind of blindly leading the, the literate. We're all literate. In fact, I think the people in charge are more illiterate than we are. <laughs> so there's my rant. <laughs> when are you having, uh, what's your uh, project, projected uh, release date for the new book? What I do not have for? one. I do not have one. But if you do want a date from me, well, that sounded really weird. <laughs> um, if you do want any, I, I'm uh, launching my mentorship. I have a six week mentorship that's launching May 1st and, um, that mentorship's amazing. I've been doing it for probably almost three years now. Um, it's a six week course with me where, um, uh, we talk about in, you know, um, expanding your intuitive abilities, uh, getting you connected to your angels, helping you to clear negative energy. Um, basically the spiritual fundamentals that I feel like I continually talk to my clients all the time. I was like, Hey, these are just six principles that keep coming up in our lives right now. So I'm just going to create a mentorship and I will just kind of mentor and walk you through the process. And it's a really fun, fun thing. You do not have to be present. It's all, I give you videos and, um, uh, workbooks and exercises. There's a process that we do every week. And then, uh, the other component is there's a private Facebook group that I do Facebook lives weekly in that. So I'm able to continue walking you through that. And, you know, it's just a really incredible process. So May 1st, if anyone's interested, you can find that on my website, clarityisthewaycom Beautiful. Yeah. Crystal, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. This was so much fun. fun I could talk it? all night with you. It's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. I really appreciate you asking me to come and, uh, you know, hopefully we pissed off enough people and made other people feel wonderful and, and that's just how it goes well so. it's always challenging i always want somebody out there listening to be challenged in some way shape or form so that mm. they're left with something to ponder and think about after the episode is over so well, i can't imagine anyone would come into the podcast um not wanting that no so. well, thank you <laughs> thank you love light and angel blessings everybody and everybody go out and have a beautiful beautiful wonderful day Life is flowing. We are evolving where there's always a forward movement and you're either going with that flow or you're in resistance to it. What do you do when life asks you to grow? What do you do when evolution comes knocking at your door? I just did what was in front of me. Life is like laundry. You are never done. You're going to have to wash the bullshit you're wearing today.